0: Celebrate those baptisms one more time this morning. What great stories! All right, men, this this is our day. All right, so I'm gonna get all of our fathers in the room to stand up, and I want to honor all of our fathers today. Let's put our hands together and uh, just thank the Lord for all the dads. Just continue to stand if you would. I want to talk to the fathers in the in the room this morning. Uh, listen, I just want to tell you this morning uh, how much you're loved. And how much you're valued. I know we live in a culture right now where where the role of a father is often demeaned and dismissed. And uh, I just want you to know today um, how valuable you are and how loved you are. We see this through history that um, the strength of a a culture and community really is determined by the the, the strength of the men within that community and culture, Uh, whether they're good men or not, whether they're godly men or not. And I want you to know The impact that you have in society and culture um, should never be minimized. And as as I know in this room, there's so many of you, you want to be men of God. You want to be men who are are strong leaders, who love your families well. And I just want you to be encouraged today. I know a lot of times when you come to Father's Day services at church, you come with uh, shin guards and mouthpieces because you know you're going to get kicked and punched. And uh, that's not today, all right? I want you to know today. I want you to leave encouraged knowing that through the power of the Holy Spirit, men, every good thing that God has for you as a father is possible and that he's using you right now in your life in ways that you can't imagine. And I just want you to know how proud we are of you, how thankful we are for you. And I just want you to be reminded today, listen, God's not done with you yet, amen? And uh, there are great things ahead. I I wanna pray a blessing over you. I just wanna tell you the heart of this prayer. It's a prayer that I've prayed for my son, um, I still pray it uh, for him. Uh, there, you know, when he was in the men days, I would pray this prayer uh, over him as a blessing over his life. And, and here's the prayer. I pray that God would make my son, and I pray this for you as well. Make him a mighty warrior for the kingdom, a man who speaks the truth and walks in purity, that he could be strong and courageous, but humble and gentle, and that he would pursue Jesus with all of his heart, all the days of his life. And men, that's the prayer that I have for you. And so here's what I wanna do. I'm actually gonna ask all of the men in the room, young and old, father, husband, doesn't matter, if you're a guy in the room, I want you to stand up right now because this prayer is for you as well. So stand up right now. Men don't like taking directions from anyone. All right, stand up right now, all right? Um, And here's what I wanna do. I wanna ask all all the men in the room to stand And and all of the the people that are sitting, all the ladies that are sitting here, you go, I want you to raise a hand to a man near you, all right? That's what you're going to do. That's your job. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray this blessing over you men. And here's here's my heartbeat. So I pray this. I want those of you sitting around them to pray as well for these men that are standing. And and men, this prayer is the heartbeat I believe that Jesus has for your life and what the Holy Spirit wants to do through you um, with your life. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every man that is standing in this room right now, I pray that you will make this room filled with mighty warriors for the kingdom, men who speak the truth, men who walk in purity, men who are both strong and courageous, but they're humble and gentle, and that they would seek you with all of their heart all the day's of their life and Father, I ask this blessing in the name of Jesus, the one who can make it possible. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's people said, "Amen." Amen. Hey, let's celebrate our men one more time this morning. Thank you, men. You may be seated. And so I want to I want to talk to uh, really fathers today is going to be going to be a heartbeat of this uh, message today. And I'm going to have one of my kids join me on stage in a moment uh, to work through this, but um. But one of of the things I want to make sure we understand is that this is for everybody in the house, all right? So with moms, you can glean from some of these things. But I want to kind of just remind you of the power of the influence of a father on the life of their children. Last week, uh, Jeff Manning, by the way, who crushed the sermon last week. Let's celebrate Jeff and his leadership. So grateful for his sermon last week. But the passage he 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 read uh, from and taught us from is Philippians chapter two verse nineteen. You can open your Bibles there. I just want to briefly read this and highlight really one thing to tee up the morning for us. Philippians chapter two verse nineteen is where we're going to be. If you're there, say the Bible is true. So Paul, in this passage, is writing to uh, the Philippian church. But in this, he's going to say a few affirming words about Timothy. And we're gonna see this how this relates to fathers in the passage. Verse 19, Paul says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Now listen to these words, verse 20. For I have no one like him who genuinely uh, is concerned for your welfare. For they all, everyone else, they seek their own interests, not those of Jesus. Listen to verse Verse 22. But you, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. Now here's what we learn about the, the, the relationship between Timothy and the apostle Paul is that, that we don't know a lot about Timothy's earthly father. He's not really mentioned in the scriptures at all. What you see is Timothy becomes this strong man of faith who eventually kind of the, the baton of Paul's ministry is passed to and he, he continues this work and so you, you, in Timothy's life, he was influenced greatly by, by two people primarily, his grandmother and his mother. Father is never mentioned. We don't know whether his father abandoned him, whether his father died, or whether his father, you know, didn't believe. We don't know. What we know is he had a strong grandmama and a strong mama who poured into his life. But then God provided a spiritual father in his life called the Apostle Paul. For what was lacking maybe in his father's relationship with him, God gave him in the form of Paul. Paul even refers to him in this passage as as a son in the ministry, that that he he served me like a son and a father. So you see this dynamic relationship between Paul and Timothy. But here's what I love, and here's something we learn about this, this spiritual fatherhood that Paul assumed in the life of Timothy, is that Paul understood the influence that he had in the life of the apostle Paul. We see it throughout Timothy. Timothy first Timothy and second Timothy I'll talk about that in just a little bit but right here here's some powerful thoughts for you men listen to me there is power in you giving public words of affirmation to your children there is power in giving public words of affirmation and encouragement to your children that's what you find right here now just think about this Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church He's hoping to send Timothy to them and he tells us why. But notice what he says here. He says, listen to this. He says, for I have no one like him, no one like Timothy, who genuinely is concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Paul is writing this this letter and he's saying some words about Timothy. And this is what he publicly says about Timothy to this church. I don't have anyone in my life like Timothy who is so genuine in his faith and his love for you. When I look around, think about who I would want to send to you in order to build you up and encourage you and give care for you. I can't think of anyone better to send to you. Spiritual son, Timothy, because Timothy is a young man who is real about Jesus, and he has served to advance the gospel. And I want you to think about this. There was probably a day where Timothy was going to go to Philippi, and he was going to hear these words that his spiritual father said about him to other people that then were going to be read to him. Think about the power of that moment. Paul, Timothy is, is listening to the words of Paul. And all of a sudden it gets to that, hey, I'm hoping to send Timothy to you. You think Timothy's head would have lifted up? What is he gonna say next? I can't wait to send Timothy. Let me tell you about Timothy. I don't have anyone else in my life that I could think I could send to you that's gonna show you greater love and encouragement than my spiritual son, Timothy. He has served so well with the gospel. Now here is a question for you in the room and I want you to answer this. Just say amen if you would think and agree with me. Do you think this... Word of affirmation would have encouraged Timothy and lit a fire in his heart for the gospel. What do you believe about that? Amen? There is power in the words of affirmations. Fathers, listen to me. When you publicly affirm your children to other people in front of them, you are building into their character, you're building into their life, you're building them up spiritually. And we as men oftentimes can be very critical of our children publicly. We are very quick to rebuke our children publicly. But what would it look like if assuming that I'm just not with my kids, I'm not just their earthly father, I'm their spiritual father as well. What would it look like for me to model, for you to model more statements of affirmation. I love how specific he is. He says, I don't have anyone like Timothy. And then he gives something very specific about Timothy, his genuine love for people. In other words, he knows his spiritual son and he brags on his gifting. He gives this word. So what would it look like, like for me with my family, you with your family, what would it look like for me to look at my son, my son Noah, and say, Noah, listen, or or say about him to others. Hey, let me tell you about my son Noah. I I don't know that there's anyone else in this world like, and then fill in the blank with that thing about him that's so special? What would it look like you meant for your, your daughters for you to say, let me tell you about my daughter McKenna or my daughter Micah. There, there's no one in the world that I know of that has more of a fill in the blank with that, that spiritual character, that, that trait about them that you love deeply. Listen, I believe that if we would do more public affirm, affirming, then we do public rebuking. We might just build stronger kids. And it's not that we don't correct, and it's not that we don't rebuke. It's just that we need to use words of affirmation, building our kids up. You rebuke them, you might shape them, and you might build them up. You encourage them in the Lord, and you affirm them, you will build them up, and you will shape them. Amen? So what I'm gonna do this morning is I'm gonna, uh, you know, this is really about, you know, us trying to have a conversation. Uh, with you about our family dynamics, but this is also a way for me to affirm some giftings in my daughter, McKinnis. So I want to ask you to welcome her to the stage as she comes um, today. I'm so grateful for her. Are they giving me a microphone because it's Just cutting out? Case Just in case. case. All right, good. All right. Um, but I have three children. I have uh, my youngest is Micah. She, uh, Micah Moo, we call her. Don't go, I don't have time to go in the conversation about why we call her Micah Moo. But um, she is our party waiting to happen kid in the house. And uh, for everyone who went to church camp with her last week, I wanna both say thank you for loving my kid well and I apologize for the party that she brought with her. Um, th- this girl is a, a so full of joy, so full of life and uh, such a gift to her friends and to our family. <coughs> Um, and uh, I tell people she's almost 12 going on 24, so that's her. Then I have my son Noah, uh, who just turned 15. Uh, Noah is one of the most chill kids you'll ever be around. He's never gonna be the loudest kid uh, unless he's at the house, then he can be obnoxiously loud. Um, but Noah is, is one of those uh, very focused, when he decides he's gonna do something, he's, he goes all in. He's a hardworking uh, kid who puts everything into whatever he's gonna do. He's gonna make sure he does it the best he possibly can. Uh, He's got a gentle spirit. Um, He is by nature very driven and very competitive, but he's also one of the most gentle, kind uh, persons that I've ever been around. I'm grateful for uh, him. And then my my daughter, McKenna, uh, she is a young lady that even from, from the time you were young, I had school teachers telling me, uh, how she would just stand up for people in the classroom and she would speak words of wisdom to people who were hurting. And so I always describe McKenna as uh, she is a defender by nature. So she always wants to be an advocate for the people that are around her that are hurting or afflicted. And then she, God's gifted her with the ability to speak into people's lives with great wisdom. Um, she's also a very driven and motivated person, um, highly competitive. One of the things that I've heard is the firstborn uh, girl in your family is typically the female version of their father. And uh, this is no doubt true with McKenna. Uh, she, she's so competitive. I think she hates losing more than she loves winning. For sure. And uh, so that's why, why we can't play cards at our house. We can't have any games because she's, gonna, she's either gonna cheat or she's gonna get mad, one or the other. Um, and that's just who she is. But so what we're gonna do is have a conversation, uh, McKenna, just about our family and faith. And we were laughing about this because we're gonna talk about some things that we've done right, but also things we've done wrong. But we're not a perfect family.
1: Oh, yeah. They don't perfect. say, oh yeah, not just perfect.
0: say, yeah, I agree, dad. I yeah. agree. Um, so so uh, just so we can level the, 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 the field here, what is, what is something, we talked about this earlier this week, and you identified it way too quickly. What is the one thing about my personality or something that I do that they may not know that just annoys you to death and just brings a little humility to, to the table?
1: Okay, well, like he said, I'm like the female version of him. So how competitive I am, multiply that by about ten, and you get how competitive he is. And so I don't know if you've ever come to like, like a basketball game that like any of us have been playing in, but you can pick him out of the crowd pretty much instantly because he's extremely loud. Would probably be the. You way were I'd gonna put. use the word obnoxious. I was gonna say I was gonna say obnoxious, but um, very loud, and so like. When I, like, turn the ball over or, like, miss a shot or something, like, I'll look in the stands kind of out of the corner of my eye, and he's sitting there. He's like, oh, my. Kind of rocking back and forth. And so I just know he's already, like, frustrated, and he's always trying to coach from the sideline. And I just try to ignore. That's just – I try to ignore, and then we can talk about it in the car afterward. It's kind of, like, how we roll, but –
0: All right, so I'm guilty of that. But you also have a look during those games whenever you're frustrated with me. What's that look?
1: Kind of like a – I roll my eyes a little bit, like and kind of like look at him, like tilt the head a little bit, and then I'll turn around and keep walking, trying to ignore you. But
0: and and that's when she gives me that look. That's when her mom kind of pats my leg and says, like, "You need to chill. You need to chill. Sit down. Like, you need to chill." Uh, but you're you're also, I mean, it's not just me. You're a strong-willed kid. So uh, one of the things we love that that competitive drive, that that strong will. We saw very early, uh, one story in particular, we were, she was about four years old and we were coming home, we were living in Gilmer's time, coming home from Longview and you were four and Noah was about two and, and she had done something, I can't remember what she did, but she needed to say she was sorry. So I said, hey, say, sorry, say, say you're sorry to your brother and she refused to, she's like, I'm not doing it. i like, no, no, say you're sorry and she dug in, like she's just, that strong will and uh, I was like, say you're sorry and we had the spanking spoon at the house. I'm like, well, I'm gonna get the spanking spoon, we're gonna get a swap when we get home and, uh, and her response to me in that moment was, why would, why would you wait till we get home? I'll just do it now. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is what we're dealing with here. And uh, so I'm like, no, no, you're gonna wait. So I'm thinking, she's gonna sit in this, think about this on the way home. And so we get about halfway between, on 300 between Gilmer and Spring Hill. And she goes, hey, dad. And I'm thinking she's gonna go, I'm ready to say I'm sorry and spare the, 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 the spanking. And she goes, hey, dad, we're almost home. Like, <laughs> I'm like, double take, not like, smart, not smart. are you serious? Yeah. Like we're, we're going there. And so we get home and sure enough, she walks over, she, you know, stands there. And she's like, you said, yeah, I was going to get a swat. Give me a swat. I said, like, you going to say you're sorry? No. And so I gave her a little swat on the backside and she um, doesn't say a word, just looks forward. And I said, say you're sorry. She's like, nope. And so I swatted her again and she doesn't, nothing. Like she's stone cold face looking at the wall. And I'm like, say you're sorry. Nope. Noah's sitting right there. Mama's sitting right there. And I'm like, I'm I'm being busted right here in front of everybody. So finally, I was like, okay. So I I gave her a little harder pop. And this time she goes, "Mm," big tear. And she goes, that was a good one. (laughs) I said, are you ready to say you're sorry? Nope. And by this time, Noah is on the couch at two going, Kenna, just say you're sorry. Just say you're sorry. And so we, we realized that, that strong will, there was no spanking spoon that was big enough. And so I think what got you is we took all the teddy bears out, yes. or stuffed animals out of your room, and, um, and that solved that problem. That, that strong will, it still survives, but she's, she's maturing in that. Um, but there's also a sensitive side. There's, a, there's also that, that special. So what's our song?
1: Um, Cinderella by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Every, every time we hear it, we just cry. We just can't even...
0: And what's the Public story crying. behind it?
1: Um, so when I was like five or six, I had this Cinderella dress that I had gotten on for Halloween. And I mean, I wore that thing every day, like every day. And so he'd come, he'd come home from work and we had a little desk that had like one of those big laptop computer things on it. And uh, I'd click play on that song right when he walked in the door and I'd run up to him and be like, can we dance? And so he'd take me to the living room and we'd dance. But now it's like, we can't even hear that song and like stay like calm. Like it's like, we just lose it. <laughs> every
0: time, every, I mean, every time. time, like <laughs> her talking about that, like my eyes are fighting back tears right now. So <laughs> imagine this, on this front row, Stephen Curtis Chapman concert a few months ago. We're, we're all great, it's a great concert. Then he starts singing the Cinderella song. And it's, so pictures, I'm on one side of the family, McKenna's on the other side of the family. We cannot make eye contact together. Mm-mm. Like it was Snot Fest USA forward. right here. And then all of our family in the middle is just laughing at us as we weep our eyes out to this song. So I, I, she's getting ready for her senior year, and I know at some point that song is going to be played in one of the videos or something we do, and I'm not going to be able to handle it. You're going to have to put me in a house somewhere, lock me up, because I'm going to lose my mind. But that's something special that we share um, together. But one of the things, McKenna, I love uh, about you is just the way um, that as you've, as you've grown, as you've matured, one of the things that I love about you is how you have navigated to owning your faith. Uh, I don't want to talk about that just for a little bit. You, um, you know, you're not a Christian because your dad's a pastor. You're not a Christian because your parents are, are, are Christians. There, there's a very real relationship that you have with Jesus. I want you to t- tell us just about your relationship with the Lord.
1: Um, for me, it's it's mainly like identity is the word I think of because you know in a, in a world where everyone's trying to tell you what your identity is and tell you what you should believe, it's so hard to really find out who you are and. You know, seeing my parents live out their faith and know their identity is in Christ. You know, I didn't really understand that until I finally accepted Christ. Um, And I began to go on this journey of owning my faith and, like, realizing that my identity is found in Christ. And it's not found in what anything the world says it should be found in. And I just think that's so important because... um, like the world is constantly gonna to try to sway your beliefs, but if you stand strong in Christ, I've found that you know who you are. And um, like people else, like, say all the time, they're like, okay, so like, what is one way you would describe Jesus um, to you? And I would definitely describe him as my best friend. Um, and I say that because a best friend has kinda of like three primary like, jobs, I guess. And one of those is that a best friend is supposed to celebrate with you when life is going great. You know, like when you're successful and, and life is good, a best friend is supposed to be there right next to you cheering you on, you know. And um, I think Jesus does that. You know, he encourages us and, um, you know, walks with us, you know, in times where it's, life is good. But the second side of that is, you know, like when life gets hard, Jesus is still there. And that doesn't mean that he bails you out because he doesn't. Um, and he allows things to happen for a reason, but you know, he holds your hand and walks with you and, and helps you grow through those times when life is hard. And I think that the last way um, that Jesus is a friend is just that he points out the hard truths. And you, know, you have those friends that are surface level that just tell you what you want to hear, and then you have that you know, those two or three good friends that really tell you, you know, like you're, you're failing in this area and you need to fix it. And that's what Jesus does for us. And it, it hurts a lot sometimes, but, like, we grow so much from that. So I would say Jesus is a best friend. And finding my identity in Christ has been able to shift the way that I look, at, you know, at the world as a whole. So,
0: That's awesome. And, and talking about that, that faith and that friendship, I love the way you described that friendship, what that looks like. And really, that's the, that's the journey with Jesus, of him, you know, enabling and empowering us in those moments that are great, walking with us in moments that are hard, saying hard stuff to us, mm-hmm. builds that foundation. So here, here's what I want to do with that, with that owning your faith, that foundation, there's obviously, you know, mom and I have tried, there's no like manual that tells us one, two, three, ABC. This is how you make, you know, perfect families and how your kids, you know, can be, be all that God has for you. But there are some things that we've learned through the years. And I would like for you to talk about what are two or three things that we have done as parents that have helped you own your faith. Things that have empowered you to own your faith.
1: Um, specifically, like watching my parents, you know, set the example for what you know a Christian lifestyle looks like is important. But like even like deeper than that, just watching their you know their their personal walk with Christ, like. I remember we would go to the lake house, you know, every summer, and um, I would get up real early in the morning when I was little, and I would, you know, go downstairs to eat my Pop-Tart, and I'd see him on the back porch reading his Bible and praying, and I would just sit there and just watch him, and I don't even think you had any idea, I was just looking at you through the window, and, you know, that is something, that is a like an image that has stayed with me. And when I accepted Christ, I could look back and remember, okay, so I remember dad, you know, getting up early in the morning and reading his Bible and spending time in prayer. And so that helps me know, okay, that's what I need to do because, you know, that's what a, you know, a follower of Christ does. And, you know, I think that, um, like, another way um, that you can set an example is, like, how parents deal with conflict and how, like, you help your kids deal with conflict. Because I think oftentimes, like we, like parents wanna just save their kids from conflict and just like rescue them out of it. But some of the times where I've grown the most have been when my parents have given me advice and said, okay, now you need to go deal with, you know, this conflict with your friend or this conflict with a teacher. Because that's when you grow, is when you have to, you know, experience those things for yourself. Um, And I think y'all have done a good job at letting us, you know,
0: Probably to a fault at times. Maybe, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but um, I think it all kind of just falls under like, you know, setting an example. And another like way of that is, you know, having conversations about, you know, culture and, you know, setting the example that like, we're not going to let culture define us and we're not going to let culture shift the way we think. We're going to see the world through the lens of the Bible instead of the lens of what culture wants us, you know, to... And so having
0: and that's thing that's having those conversations, whether it's it's you know, dealing with things you hear at school or 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 conflicts you maybe you have in in, in friend groups or maybe just be your own personal struggle with your own faith of being able to have those conversations. Or we're dealing with culture, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But setting that example, one of the things you've said continually uh, to me as we prepared for this was was that you know, uh, parents can't guide really their kids into what they don't walk in themselves. And so setting that example has been, and not that we're perfect. I mean, my, my quiet time is ups and has ups and downs, and, and there are obviously things that me and your mom do that are not, you know, perfect as parents because there are no perfect parents. I always tell people it's like the only, only parenting experts in the world are, are f- f- adults without children. Those are the parenting experts in the world because once you have a kid, you'll realize, I don't know anything. And so we, we make mistakes constantly, but that you're saying that that consistency though over time, yeah. it really paints a good picture and then having that open dialogue. Well, okay, so um, obviously we've, we've not done some things right. And so mom and, mom and dad, don't be so emphatic about that. We haven't done things right all the time, but there's things that we're growing in. I want you to, you, when I asked you the other day, I said, tell me two or three things that mom and dad haven't done well, but are doing better in now that's really helping you, and I want you to talk about those things that you you said.
1: Yeah, um, us as kids and teenagers, um, I think we tend to put our parents kind of on this pedestal of like, y'all are just y'all got it all together, and y'all are just you know y'all got this thing like, it's going good, and your spiritual walk is good, and you don't struggle. Um, And so for a while, like, when I was a Christian early on, I just looked at my parents, you know, my dad's standing up here preaching, my mom leading all these groups and stuff, and I was thinking, okay, so I guess they never struggle with stuff, and they never, you know, have hills and valleys in their relationship with Christ. And I remember finally I asked my mom one day, you know, I was in a, a, a very, you know, like, low spiritual valley that I just felt like I couldn't, like, get out of, and I just asked my mom, I was like, okay, so, like, do you go through spiritual valleys? Like, is that just me? And when she said, I remember she said, like, yes, of course I do. Your dad does too. We all do. And it was kind of like a light bulb moment because I was like, okay, so my parents struggle too. And so a big part of, like, you know, the relationship between a parent and a child needs to be, like, transparency, being honest, because a lot of times parents expect us as kids just to be honest and tell all of our problems, but then – you know, we want to hear where y'all struggle. We want to know that y- that y'all aren't perfect. And so then it, it helps like kind of even the playing field when you tell me your struggles and I'll tell you my struggles.
0: And you, and you made a statement to me as well as we were working through this. You said that if you want, if parents want children to be more transparent, parents can model that by being more transparent mm-hmm. with the children. And tell me why that's so important for you.
1: Because when... When I know that that you go through spiritual valleys and that you have hard times, it makes me, in those moments where I'm going through hard times and spiritual valleys, know that I'm not alone. This isn't, I'm not crazy for, for you know, uh, going through a spiritual valley and to know that, you know, we struggle and we all struggle. And that's why, that's the beauty of the gospel, though, is because... We're so flawed and imperfect, we need Jesus to be perfect for us. Mm. And so I think that that is, it helps you grow, like failing almost, it helps you because yeah. you can learn from it and
0: that's good. grow so from I, it. And, I, and that's the thing, you know, one of the things that we've noticed is that, the, and this is what she's helped us as parents, is the, the more vulnerable we can become, and she sees the gospel applying to our life the more, you know, she said, this is how I know how the gospel applies to my life. But when we wear the mask and we pretend like things are okay, there is no being able to implement what we know into our life. And so that's, that's encouraging to hear, and, and that's something we obviously want to grow in. The other thing you mentioned that we've got to grow in, that we are growing in, is communication when it comes to letting, letting you talk before we try to fix things.
1: Mm-hmm. Talk
0: to us about that.
1: In the past, it's kind of been like, I come and I'm like, uh, I have this issue, whatever. You know, I heard this at school. Like, um, I'm confused at what the culture is saying about this. Is this true? And, you know, quickly before letting me kind of like process it, it's just like, in the past, it was just, no, that's wrong. This is what you should believe. Don't think like that. And I kind of was taken aback, like, okay, like, I was just wondering, basically. And so having more dialogue, like, you know, helping me process it um, has been so good. And so now in those moments when I can't call you on the phone and be like, someone said this in class, what does this mean? Or what what do I say to this? Or how do I, you know, approach the situation? I can process it on my own and think back to the times and things that you've said and guidance you've given.
0: Yeah. and, And I think that's where probably the biggest, that's probably the biggest weakness for me and I think men, and I'm not gonna speak this for every man in the room, but men typically have a tendency to wanna to be fixers. So, you know, we, we, we play the role of, of, of vanilla ice. You, you give me a problem, yo, I'll solve it, right? Um, the great theologian. Um, so so we, we have a tendency, yeah, you're welcome. It's a Father's Day gift to you. Um so we have this tendency, like I do, because I can be a control freak, where if one of my kids comes, especially if it's a cultural issue or something that, about a belief system that may, may harm the foundation, I go into panic mode, and what I want to do is go, no, that's not right. This is right. You believe this, and I'm hoping that it just fixes it, and they move on. The problem is, is that they're processing, like, I know you're saying this, but as I'm getting older, I'm seeing this. And I'm hearing this and culture is saying this is right. And how do I reconcile this? And so for me as a father thinking that if I can give her a quick fix, it puts an end to it. What it does, it even creates deeper questions. Mm-hmm. And this has been probably, Adrian would nod her head to this, this has probably been the biggest weakness in my parenting as a father is not letting the kids work through what they're feeling and emotions, what they're, what they're thinking with, with things that they're wrestling with. And the more that I can listen and ask questions... This is it for marriage as well. And and is a lot of times the kids aren't asking me to fix a problem they're trying to solve, but help them process a dilemma they're trying to work through. Mm -hmm. And what I'm discovering is is that discovered truth is more transformative than than just informational truth. And so when I can when I can slow down, this is what really you've taught me, and and Mom has spoken wisdom into this as well is that the more I can ask questions and listen and let her process, she'll probably discover the same solution that I could give her in 30 seconds, but at the end, it'll be her solution, and she'll own it. And that part of my, my, my role as a parent is to, is to help guide in that process, and that's been, that's been a huge thing, and yeah. I think that's helped uh, our relationships get stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, so beyond just things that we've done wrong that we're trying to fix, there are also things that we've done right that you thought were wrong, mm-hmm and that you're now discovering are right. You know, like The older we get, the smarter our parents are. I told my wife, my dad's back here, I built a table for our family a couple of weeks ago. I don't think I told dad this. Um, uh, Happy Father's Day, by the way. Um, so he, I, my, my dad's a carpenter, and, and, and is, is kind of a master carpenter. He's really good at building you know, cabinets and tables and stuff. So I'm learning how to do those things. But as a kid, I would always be so annoyed at his meticulous approach of how he cut and measured and how the process that he took. Because as a kid, I'm going, I could do this half the, half the time. Well, now that I'm actually doing some of those projects as an adult, I'm, I, I, I finished the table and I told my wife, I was like, oh, dad, an apology, because I find myself taking the same steps that he took that I got so annoyed by because I realized when I didn't do it, it screwed things up. So the older I get, the smarter he is. You know, does that make sense? So McKenna, there are things that we put boundaries in your life and, and some areas, you know, things that have restricted you that you didn't like, and now you're learning to appreciate as you're older and getting more mature. I asked you the other day, what are those things? And you really came off with two things, uh, or really three things. Uh, you talked about social media. You talked about um, friend group and dating, things like that. Talk to us about that.
1: Um, a big one is definitely uh, social media. I think sometimes we don't realize the effect that it has on our brains and on the way we function. And I remember in, like, sixth and seventh grade, all my friends started getting social media. And I went to my parents, and I'm like, all right, so everyone has social media. Can I please get it? And it was a immediate no. And I remember it being, like, so angry. I was like, they're just trying to hold back something from me that's, like, is good and fun. And, like, the older I got and, and you know, when we, you know, started – um, having more conversations and uh, having social media now, I'm able to manage it much better. And what I mean by that is i don't I don't struggle with like being addicted to the stroll like the constant scrolling and just like not being able to like zone in in a conversation and you know communicate well. I don't struggle with that because I didn't get social media so early on. And another area of that is just um, I think, for, especially for us as girls, um, it's really easy to like fall like into the category of like jealousy and constantly wanting something that someone else has. And by limiting my exposure and my you know time on social media, even now, like we've been able to avoid those feelings of jealousy and, and insecurities that would have come with, you know, constantly being
0: on social media. So it's giving you, giving you time to mature. Yeah. You know, before you got introduced to that world, mm-hmm. and even now, you know, with the monitoring that we we do as parents, um, one of the things that she says is I, I find myself now thankful for the monitoring that you do. Mm-hmm. You proof my post, and you, you, you have access to my social media, and it's stuff that she didn't value before. Now you're seeing the freedom mm-hmm. that you have, and I think that's that's a, that's a big deal. Um, the other one was, was with, with friendships, dating, things like that. Talk to us about that.
1: Um, it's hard to like, for us as kids, we just want to do whatever we want. And so, you know, our, the relationship that we have and that I have with my mom is very like open about who, who I'm spending time with and who, you know, I ask, Hey, can so and so come over to the house and hang out? And they, they, they know who my friends are. They, they, they don't just know them on a surface level. They, you know, they know who their parents are and who their influences are. And that's so important because without, you know, guidance from y'all and on who can really be an influencer in my life and in kind of that inner circle of people that, you know, build you up, um, I, think it might, I think I would look a lot different because you always said, you're the, top five, you're the average of the top five people that you hang out with. So you become the top five people that you hang out with. And so surrounding yourself like purposefully with people that are like-minded and love Jesus and are gonna push you in your faith instead of pull you down is so important. And that doesn't mean like, I don't have friends that aren't Christians because I have so many friends that aren't Christians, but you know, I don't, necessarily let those pe- people, their words speaking into my life have as much weight yeah, as someone who loves Jesus and is like-minded with me, if that makes sense.
0: That's good. That's good. So, and, and that's where I would, I would encourage parents in, in the room is know your kids and know your kids' friends and know your kids' friends' families. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we, we, we just you kind of get dismissive and, oh, there were so-and-so, oh, they're a good kid. They're I, like, there's so much out there uh, that our kids could get introduced to it at a certain age, at a, at a, and, and all of a sudden they find themselves in a place they never intended. You never intended, but it was the influence of of friends um, that that is a slippery slope. And we fought battles for years, you know, with that inner circle. Now M- McKenna and and all my kids have a, have a heart for missions. They have a heart to reach people for Jesus, but they also know there's a mission, and then there's there's community, mm-hmm. and community in our life is reserved for those who are gonna draw us nearer to Christ, not pull us away from him. Yeah. And, um, and that's helped shape. And I'm, I'm glad that th- those battles maybe early on that you're starting to now appreciate. I'm glad that, that you're discovering that because it's really, you, you talked about this um, shaping your identity. I want you to talk to us just for a moment about your identity and why that's so important.
1: It's It's so hard in the world that we live in nowadays to know who you are because... Everyone and everything around you is saying, okay, your identity is found in your gender, or you know, your race, or you know, who your parents are, or your performance you know, in athletics, or on the basketball court, or whatever it is. You know? And so it's so hard because you're constantly, and this is so true for me, I'm constantly trying to you know, meet those things, and even before Christ, finding my full identity in those things, and they failed every single time. And no matter how many points I scored or, you know, what grade I got on my test, I still felt so empty. And without Christ, I would still feel empty if I were looking to those things to be my identity. And it's, it's just about taking, you know, your identity and saying, my identity is in who Christ says I am, not who my dad says I am or who my coach says I am. It's in Christ.
0: Hmm. And
1: when you can have that outlook, that doesn't mean that you're not going to ever struggle you know, with insecurities and things like that. But it does give you a different sense of like peace that I'm imperfect, but Jesus is perfect. Mm. And that's all that matters, so.
0: That's good, that's good. And so I want you to do something Talk about identity and living out your faith, owning your faith. I want you to take a couple of minutes. Your, your favorite verse, and this is something I've asked her to do, and uh, she was courageous enough to do it, um, God's got a call, ministry in her life, and I, you probably can see that. And we're thankful for that gifting. But I wanted you to take a couple of moments. Your favorite verse is 1 Timothy 4.12. And it's been your life verse for a long time. I want you to take a couple of moments and just walk through that verse for us. And just as parents, challenge us to how how we can walk in, you know, helping shape our kids' identity and and fuel them for what God has for their life. And any students in the room that, that need to be encouraged in this area as well.
1: So my, like you said, my, my life verse is 1 Timothy 4.12. And just like a little background context on that verse, um, Paul is speaking to Timothy. And like you said earlier, Timothy is Paul's spiritual son. And so there's, there's a father-son connection that they have um, that's pretty unique. And um, in this passage, Paul is basically trying to encourage Timothy, like, live out your faith and be, be bold and step out. And know that your calling is to Christ, and that's the highest calling anyone could ever have. And um, it's, it's kind of important to note, too, that like Timothy was considered a young man at that time, and so in that day and culture... Um, there was kind of like an appropriate age that you could become a leader and be outspoken and lead in a church, and Timothy was way below that age. So, Paul was asking him to do something big and step out, even though culture was going to, you know, have some backlash against him initially. Um, and this is what the passage says. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, and conduct, and love, and faith, and purity. And when we read this, we can see that Paul really gives two basic commands. Um, and the first one is don't let anyone look down on you. And this is important because Paul knew that, that the world around Timothy was going to try to put him in a box and tell him, you can't do this. You're, you're not old enough. You don't know enough. But Paul is saying, no, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Mm. You are capable of doing these things. And the second command we see is not only does Paul say, don't let anyone lower you and don't let people say that you're not, you know, old enough and big enough to do this. He's actually telling him, actually, I want you to set the bar and set an example. And when we were studying, I thought it was interesting because the word example in Greek is typos, and it means type, um, model, standard. And so, like, when I thought of this, I thought, I have a friend that's like, an insane pole vault, or not pole vaulter, high jumper. I don't know if y'all know what that is, but um, when they, like, first, like, enter in their competition, they have, like, this bar that's set at their height, and they have to jump over it, right, and it, the bar gets higher and higher every time, and because she's so good, she always set the bar so high that, you know, like, she always won, and so that's what I always thought is, like, like, in this Moment, Paul is calling Timothy, like, I want you to be the one that sets the bar and set it high. Um, Be an example. He gives um, five areas where Timothy is supposed to set an example, and I'm just going to, like, go through them really briefly. Um, The first one is in speech, and um, this isn't just, like, about you know, what he preaches or what he teaches from the pulpit or, you know, what he's going to say in front of the congregation. This is also, you know, those day-to-day conversations that Timothy is going to be having with his friends and, you know, with his family. And this is also like, you know, those behind-the-closed-door conversations that not a lot of people get to hear, you know, being, he's he's encouraging him to be um, a light for Christ even when no one's watching through your speech. And um, the second one is in conduct, and this is just the way he lives his life. Um, he, Jesus is calling him to live, you know, be the hands and feet of Jesus, be a light for Christ, and not only like, you know, model Christ's love and you know, servanthood to the to the world, but also practically, like, just be a hard worker and don't be lazy and love your family and care for your friends. You know, I think those are things we a lot of times overlook, and. Um, the third is love, and just, I, I, when I think of love, I just think of Jesus, and so he's saying, live a life modeled after how Jesus lived, you know, humble yourself, and, and love those that are outcasts, and the fourth is faith, um, and we talk about this a lot, but trusting God, but also trusting his word, and that his word is true, um, and that like when culture is saying all these things and the world is saying that you can't, again, see it through the lens of the gospel, see it through what God says. That's and um, this is important because it's not just have faith when it's easy. It's have faith when it gets hard because Jesus promises that it is going to get hard. Yep. And so that's important for us is that when it gets hard, lean on what we know is true and what we have faith in. And you can't stand up for something that you don't, truly believe in mm. and so that's really important and then the last one is purity and This is you know body bodily purity, you know Honoring yourself and honoring others but also like spiritual purity, you know filling your heart and mind with things of the Lord and And not things of this world um, and I think those five areas are so crucial for us um, to walk in and as I was reading this um, like, I read all these, like, ways and stuff, and I just thought, okay, so what is, like, how can we practically apply this to our life? Um, so for the parents in the room, um, my encouragement would be to empower your kids, empower your children, because I can speak as a teenager, we just want you guys to believe in us, Mm. and we want you guys to tell us that we can accomplish great things, because if you're in our corner, we feel like we can do anything, and, um, like, encourage us to step out in faith and, and be bold for the gospel. And, you know, we were talking about this, and we talked about how the same Holy Spirit that lives in, you know, the parents in the room and the parents everywhere that are Christians is the same Holy Spirit that's in the, in our, in the kids and in us. And so, you know, who are we to say and put God in a box and say, well, he has to wait until my son gets older and knows more? It's the same Holy Spirit. Um, that can work through you the way, you know, he works through an adult. Um, And then the second thing is parents, like, expect your kids to do great things. Um, Don't just, like, let them slide by. Like, have a high standard for for what they can accomplish and and for what they can do in their schools and in their, you know, on their sports teams. Because, like, we as students have a platform that you guys don't have. Y'all aren't you know, in the locker room with us, and y'all aren't in the classroom with us. So we have a whole group of people that we can reach that you guys can't. And so it's important to expect, you know, big things from your kids. Um, and then for students, um, it's the same thing. Like, be empowered. Know that, that you are capable of doing great things. You know, like, when, when my dad first came to me, it was like, hey, so I think you should come up on stage with me on one Sunday. And I was like, um, absolutely not I cannot do that I cannot get up in front of people and talk but the Lord when the Lord calls you to something you don't have to have the words and know what to say you just have to have the willingness mm-hmm. to, to go through with what he's asking you to do and I think that's so crucial is that it's not in our power it's in Christ's power um, and the second thing for students is expect yourself to do great things like know that you that this is this is your calling you know you are the timothy and and god has placed a unique calling on each of our lives and each in my life and everyone's life and i mean we just have to follow through with it and and know that we're we can we can do it um and i just think like overall for for parents just you know like affirm your kids and Tell us that we're capable, and for kids, know that your parents are in your corner, and that more important than your parents, God is in your corner. That's good. And it's God that's going to empower you and and use you in big ways. So,
0: that's good. And and McKenna, one of the things that I love is I, I'm watching this in her life. You know, you know, this is not a perfect kid. She's she acts just like a teenager, just like any other kid, but this genuine growth is happening, and God has used has used mm-hmm. you to reach your un, unsaved friends yeah. at school and. And we hear stories constantly about how kids are seeking you out, you know, because they're seeing the genuineness of Christ in you, yeah. and um, you really have set a good example for mm-hmm. that. And I want you to know how proud we are of you and how much we love you. You guys, give it up for her. It was <laughs> and here's here's how we're going to wrap up the morning. I want to I want to take an opportunity for us to practically begin to walk into McKenna's. I think application is brilliant. Um, what do we do as moms and dads? We empower our kids, and we set expectations for them to do great things. Um, and that starts with praying that over them. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to just sing a song as we get prepared to be dismissed. And in a moment, as we sing this song, I'm going to ask for fathers in the room. If your families are here, i should to bring them down to this altar, and you pray over them. And then any kids that are here, pray over your father. And let's pray that God would empower them. Let's pray that God would allow them to see the things that he expects of them and that they would rise to the occasion of what God has for them. And if if your families, your kids are not here or maybe your grandparents, come pray for your grandkids. But let's just take a moment. Let's make this a holy moment where we recognize this opportunity that God has given us. We're not perfect parents. You're not perfect parents. There are no perfect parents, but there is a perfect gospel that if it's at work in you, it'll be working your kids. And all that really begins with us praying and asking the Holy Spirit to to intercede um, in our family. So here's what we're going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray over you as you do. And we're going to sing for a moment. This altar is open for families to come and kneel and pray blessings over your kids. If you need prayer, we've got adults here that will pray for you as well. Father, we ask right now in the name of Jesus that we would be men and women, moms and dads, grandparents in this room who would empower the next generation and who would set great expectations for you to do great things. Lord, we know it's possible through Jesus. And now as we pray and call on your name, God, would this be a holy moment in the lives of these families that we would be stronger because of today and because of the way that we pray for one another. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.